This is an ABC podcast. Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Save what for dream. You must ready. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, based in Australia. And I'm Josiah Nanunga, based in Fiji, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show all about natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge, and how things are all connected. And you'll hear that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week, we work with local reporters. They are on the ground. Letting us know what's happening in this space and what people want to hear about. On today's show, natural disasters affect everyone, but sometimes the planning doesn't always include people living with a disability. Also, how the weather service in Tonga is including traditional knowledge into its forecasts and how people are reacting to that. And Tuvalu is experiencing extreme high tides at the moment, even in places that have never been impacted in the past. We'll find out what's been happening on the ground. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Joe, we want to introduce Solomon Islands-based Pacific Prepared reporter Jeremy Guao, who's been working on a story this week. Um, Bola, Jeremy, welcome to the program, welcome to the show. Uh, what actually motivated you or, you know, had driven you over the past uh, few years to to do this uh, reporting, especially in this re- important field on uh, the need to look after people with disability in times of disaster? All right, thanks, um, Jeff. Uh, well, in terms of reporting and um, disability, especially when it comes to disaster, um, I find it quite niche for us in Solomon Islands. It's not mostly reported on, and hence that I have a capability, a capability in terms of the chance I could tell stories for you know people with disability. I feel like their stories need more exposure. They have. Uh, a good stories that need to go out, but then there's no platform. They have like a, I would say like a marginalized group. So my story for this week is quite an interesting one because um, um, I've talked to Elena. Elena is working with uh, people with disability, and he's been living with the uh, Living Land Solomon Islands, and they are working on something around um, usage. Is a e-money um, thing that actually um, the initial. Um, plan was to you uh, you have to save um, money you know having small businesses and you actually raise your own money but it's focused mainly for women and my story is basically on how they they're gonna you know prepare for disaster because this money thing is like a, a small saving that you know and have like a capacity that will hold them even if we have uh, disaster 
they probably they probably will you know have the chances to have their own money rather than rely on their family and stuff. Okay, let's take a listen. My name is Elena Kelly. I work for people with disabilities Solomon Island as an uh, inclusive officer. Um, I work as a project officer, which was um, funded by Live and Learn um, Care International. So uh, this project is basically to empower women with disability, women and girls with disability, economically. Um, so we are trying to um, empower them in whatever they have in terms of um, economic uh, empowerment. So the thing is we we see there are a lot of people with disabilities, especially women, are struggling nowadays, trying to support them and their families. Um, and even the disasters, um, what will they do to prepare for disasters? Um, so we are looking at women who have the ability, have the skills, um, women who do marketings, and um, we try to help them. So we did a project on USAV. Uh, we introduced them with USAV and trying to to see the accessibility of saving income um, from their marketing, um, from whatever they, uh, they do to earn income. Um, basically because saving at home or going to the bank is, is not accessible for them. So uh, saving from home, saving from where they can is really accessible for person with disability. Um, so we introduce USAVE. It's, it's a mobile saving where you can just go and top up and then save through your mobile. So that's basically what we introduce for people, uh, especially women with disability. Um, there are a lot of uh, discrimination at home, a lot of challenges women with disability face in terms of saving their money at home. With that, how, how is that timely for, especially for us Solomon Islands in terms of preparedness for, like preparing for this, any disaster? So um, in the Solomon Islands, uh, disaster strikes like any time, any. Uh, so uh, preparing in advance or doing things like saving up and this will help disability people a lot because they um, really find it very not accessible in the Solomons. There is no accessible places for people with disability, no accessible services. And by saving their money, they can um, able to uh, provide for themselves in times of disaster. They can just go and uh, withdraw their money and buy whatever they want uh, during disaster, which is very helpful. Because they won't go out, find food. They won't go out and do things, uh, work. Because there's no work accessible for person with disability. And in, in the service zone in Solomon Islands, we don't have, uh, services that need people with disability, accept people with disability despite they have qualifications or whatever. They won't really, um, accept them because of their disability. Uh, most people look at the disability of people, not their ability. And so it's very difficult for a person with disability to find job and survive during disasters. But through savings, whatever they have, marketing, so they, they can save money, that will be very helpful for them. Yeah. What sort of like an experience coming from someone like you working in the space of, you know, looking after people with disability and, you know, um, we have a lot of disasters that we have so far. Like with your observation, how do you see women with disability in terms of that area? like a preparedness or do, uh, during the, um, uh, what I would say, does like a disaster occur, how, how, how do you find it, like, with your observation? 
I see that it's very challenging and it's very discriminative for people with disability, especially women. Um, because we have the culture where women, you have to do something, you have to take care of the family. And, and then when disaster, the disability woman can go out and do things. They won't, um, find job. They won't do marketing. And it's very challenging for them. Um, so they are struggling a lot. They find it very difficult for them. Most of the disaster people with disability are vulnerable and they are discriminated by their family members, by their relative or people around them because they are very dependable people. They depend for their, from their family to do work, uh, to provide for them because there is no accessibility uh, for persons with disability. So um, I think it's, it's very challenging during disasters for women with disability especially. With this, with this initiative, how do you see, like, uh, does it going to change the, like the, like the way of doings in terms of preparedness for, uh, preparing for disaster? Yes, yes, I, I see it's very helpful because um, whatever they do, like do small marketings or they just um, do whatever they can to earn income and by saving those money, they can, it can help them prepare for disaster. Um, because they will save at home, provide whatever they have, and when this is strike, they have a little money in store for them to survive uh, during disaster. And it will lessen the discrimination of a family um, because they can also help in providing support for their family or for their needs. Like So I think it's very uh, helpful in that way. But in terms of expansion of the program or initiative, where do you see the initiative will be like because we have a lot of disability in around um, not only for Honera but also for Solomon Islands. Um, so the, now we're starting with a small group we're trying to see um, we're trying to build those group and then we'll see the difference they made and then we'll uh, expand the group and trying to uh, provide opportunity for other disability women out there to see um, the difference of saving and having um, money without others discriminating them. Um, we have a lot of disability in the Solomon Islands and it's it's very challenging for us especially because the project is very small and we're trying to help all of the disability but it's it's very hard. So we are starting small and see what's coming next and then we'll try to expand the um, project for another group. Well in terms of challenges, um, hence that we have now the project currently starting small, uh, what sort of a challenges that you see or, you know, or, uh, face in terms of that as, 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 as someone who actually being on this uh, initiative? Um, yes, so the challenges we have is bringing the disability together. Um, they are scattered everywhere in the town, so for us to bring them in one group and then try to um, help them is very difficult. We are going to pick them up, drop them off, and then we'll find an accessible venue for them to come and stay. And then uh, it's it's very challenging for us. So we're trying our best to kind of group them in a group where they live together so that when we go there, we support them there, and then we go to another group. But it's, it's very challenging to um, really gather them because of accessibility. Thanks to Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Jeremy Guao, based in Solomon Islands. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. 
basically most countries in the Pacific are not out of the woods yet. When I say that, it means that we are still in cyclone season. For example, here in Fiji, cyclone season will come to an end in April. And we can see that people are still... Uh, you know, aware of the signs or the warnings, adhering to the weather warnings or the forecast uh, prepared and issued by the uh, weatherman or weather people at the Fiji Met office in Namaka. Yeah, yeah. I guess people are still thinking about it a lot because we are pretty much in the middle of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we did want to talk, Pacific Prepared did want to talk about how Met services or weather bureaus are actually you know, asking people to get still be prepared for natural disasters at the right. moment, particularly cyclones right. too. And, you know, Fred, coordination is very important with these authorities. Uh, you know, I always uh, salute how the Weather Office coordinates with uh, the National Disaster Management Office here in Fiji just to ensure that, uh, you know, the warnings or updates uh, relate to people at the community level. Yes. And they work hand in hand with the Fiji Police Force. Yeah. And uh, the headquarters here in Suba will then relay the message to police officers based in villages just to uh, ensure that those who didn't get the weather updates or weather warnings yeah. via radio or online, uh, you know, receive the message and the information. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what... From um, people who are talk- based, who are working there, yeah. Exactly. And that's sort of what we want to talk about today as well. And that's what this next story is about, is basically how the Met Service or the Weather Bureau in Tonga is actually right. starting to weave in um, traditional knowledge from Tonga mm. into their messages or their forecasting around natural disasters. I think the the main job or the main job description of the of any meteorological services is to provide uh, early warnings, yeah? Reliable uh, and uh, timely early warnings. This is uh, information that's provided to the public on uh, certain hazards and the impacts that uh, it can produce uh, so that the public are able to prepare ahead of time. With the use of, of technology, uh, the, this uh, reach, definitely reaching the, the last mile is, uh, I would say, uh, better now than, than before. The use of mobile technology, we, we now are able to... Uh, everybody has a mobile phone these days, so putting out the information on, on mobile and on Facebook. Uh, our Facebook page is, is very popular in terms of the information we provide uh, on the weather, uh, not only the weather but other services like for uh, the movement of ships that we, we provide. Uh, that information is quickly accessible and uh, people can go there at any time they want to check check the weather information when they, they uh, according to, to their, their, their activities. So I would say, uh, yes, there's been major improvements uh, by the use of technology, but also uh, the way we produce uh, to do the, the, the uh, that we conduct the awareness programs themselves. Uh, sometimes the the weather can be boring, especially if it's it's a 
it's nice and sunny outside. Nobody wants to to listen to the weather forecast. Yeah? But we try to uh, bring in the traditional knowledge. Uh, we collect traditional knowledge. We've been doing this for the last four years, and we try to blend it in, into the discussions about the weather, uh, getting the engagement of the communities. Uh, when people hear their their knowledge uh, are coming out on on air and in the media, they listen and they they are able to compare the traditional forecasting uh, indicators with the more contemporary forecast that we provide, and it, it provides a, a better understanding on on how uh, uh, these systems uh, perform and, and how we we, we broadcast the. The weather information. <clears throat> With the traditional knowledge and the information collected the, in four years now and working with the communities, does this help with people's preparedness in times of natural disasters? Does it help them make uh, more informed decisions in times of tropical cyclones or tsunamis or even earthquakes? Yes, the information that we've collected uh, so far We've been we've been doing this uh, in in uh, association with our normal uh, uh, awareness programs that we do in the communities. Eh? So uh, we've it when we when you deliver a, 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 an awareness program, it's one thing talking uh, uh, to the people, and it's it's another thing engaging them to talk with you yeah? and this is one thing that we noticed when we were doing the collection of the uh, traditional knowledge was that the people open up to discuss the subject at hand yeah? they have some input into the conversation and not just us talking at them yeah? but uh, having the, the conversation about the weather yeah? so we found that the uh, uh, very, very uh, important, and it was sort of a, a window into uh, opening up our our relationship and and uh, information sharing with the with the communities. Uh, the the traditional knowledge was we we saw that as was kind of the the entry point to to have this <coughs> this dialogue. Uh, with the communities uh, and getting across the information, eh? we we also learn from from them in 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 the things that they perceive that's happening with the forecast that we provide. And but definitely uh, uh, the traditional indicators uh, are also a way to for us to validate, and that the people join us in validating. Yeah? Like like this season, uh, our breadfruits have been fruiting a lot. Uh, that's one indicator of, of uh, tropical cyclone activity, yeah? and and we have uh, a forecast out there for to expect uh, one or two cyclones for the remainder of the season. Yeah, so even though we we're in the, we've we've passed the midway point of the cyclone season. And we haven't really had a, a, a cyclone, 
but the traditional indicators that are out there, the people uh, are aware. They have awareness uh, within themselves in the work that we've been doing. Oh, the, the breadfruits are fruiting very heavily. Eh? We, we should be listening to the weather forecast at least once a week or at least one, every few days because we have these indicators here. This is the sort of uh, uh, information sharing and, and the relationship between traditional knowledge and, and scientific knowledge that we, we try to, to, to use uh, in, in uh, trying to, to convey the message uh, across in terms of early warning. Thanks to Pacific Prepared Reporter and Senior Journalist with Tonga Broadcasting Commission, Anasio Falikono. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. Let's talk about extremely high tides at the moment, Joe. There's been a little bit of this going on in Tuvalu. I don't know if you're across this at all. Have you seen what's happening over there at the moment? Not lately, Fred, not lately. Uh, Probably over the past few months. I've been uh, watching videos online how the island nation, you know, being affected by tidal waves, coastal flooding, yeah. uh, storm surges, and uh, you know, it's really, it's really an eyesore. It's really an eyesore. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying to be honest for yeah. the people who live in these really super low-lying countries mm. like Tuvalu. Right. I think Tuvalu was the, is the fourth smallest country in the world, actually. Exactly. So it's not surprising. Yeah, exactly. It's quite mm. surprising to hear that. But but at the moment in Tuvalu, there's a lot of uh, roads that are being inundated with um, mm. with high tides. Right. Um, and it's not necessarily related to a lot of rainfall, but it's basically just the high tides, extreme high tides. Yeah. And and in places that they're not even used to seeing it at all. Like, right. they haven't seen flooding in these locations. So the places that did flood before are not necessarily the flooding this time, but they're completely right. different locations, which is sort of bizarre in some ways. Yeah. And I always, uh, you know, I, I take my head off. I salute the, the former minister who was, I would consider him as a climate warrior, uh, Simon Coffey. Uh, you know, during one of the past COP meetings, he delivered a video recording of himself like standing, standing uh, in the water. Yeah, standing in the water, and uh, you know, voicing the concerns of the people of Tuvalu. You know, on the reality on the ground. A really very, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of almost an iconic moment now for Tuvalu as well. Mm. But we wanted to find out a little bit more, so we spoke with the Met Service or the Weather Bureau in Tuvalu just to get an idea of what's happening on the ground. Talo for Freddie. My name is Simoya from the Tuvalu Met. I'm a um, data and communication officer at the moment. What has been happening in Tuvalu at the moment in terms of the tides? Because we've seen a lot of images on social media and the tides are sort of, they look extremely high. What's happening at the moment? At that time, during on the, on the 11th of uh, February, that's the time that we can, we, we've seen it, that uh, it's a very, you know, extreme um uh, event that time because we we've seen that uh, it's different compared for the previous years so before we um the events during that time the king tide on the on the 10th of uh, february and the 11th 
we can see the the different um, level of the the one of the tide. How much sort of notice are you able to give people ahead of a tide like this? Like, how, how do you sort of let people know what's happening and how far out can you do that? Okay, thank you. Uh, before that's happened, I mean, uh, before the 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 what the king tide, we normally issue the um, you know the information for the inundation yep. to the public. So we we doing um, you know we 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 disseminate to the what to the um, to the stakeholders, especially for 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 what for. For the key stakeholders living here in Funafuti. So, um, we, but for, for the what, for the weather bulletin, for the inundation, we doing like, we, we put in the, to the radio, but the radios, they, they announced it for, for three times, like, like in the morning, the noon time, the noon time and the, the evening. So these are areas that you don't normally see flooding in or in inundation right is that correct yes it's this is my first time to see like you know from my experience this is my first time to see those area most of the you know in the previous year they hardly affected from the king tide or high tide but uh, at this time during the high the, um, the spring tide from the two weeks the last two weeks I can see the difference compared to the previous year. This is the new places to affect it from the high tide, from the king tide. And, and just, um, I'm not sure if this is something that you can talk to as well, but do you know much about sort of, I guess, the traditional knowledge around um, these king tides and and what sort of, um, you know, traditional knowledge people would have been using or looking at prior to these king tides coming in? I, uh, you know, from our TK, our traditional knowledge, if it's like, um, you know, a high tide like that or a strong wind like that, eh? um, they normally um, tell like when birds are, you know, birds are flying on the air. Yeah, okay. You, know? you get different and birds then, flying or different directions yes, or something? Yes, in different direction. And some, some, some people, they said if it's like a new moon, you know, and then because that time, that time it was a new moon. So, what's the sort of next kind of few weeks look like? Do you know that are these tides going to go down again, or what's going to happen in the next few weeks? Do you think? Okay, for our forecast for the next month, on the on March the tenth, that's the highest tide of the year. So hopefully there is no activity, you know, come across like what we will see this, um, you know, during this uh, king tide. There is the activity come along like, uh, you know, the strong wind plus the wind waves. That's why, the, they will, you know, they will affect the, the, the coastal and the land areas as well. So hopefully in the next month, on the 10th of uh, March, there is no activity come along to, you know, to push the, um, the the water, you know, through the land and the coastal land. Mm. And that was Simoe Tiute from the Tuvalu Med Service speaking about extreme high tides Tuvalu are experiencing at the moment and in areas that have never seen flooding previously. Joe, again, thank you for your insights and help on Pacific Prepared this week. 
Vinaka. Hey, all good, Fred. See you next week. See you then. This show was made on the lands of the peoples of Stony Creek Nation in Luchawita, Tasmania. Also, the people of the Vanua Oviti. Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcasting Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Fijian Broadcasting Corporation, Samoa National Radio 2AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. My name's Fred Hooper and thanks to my co-host, Josina Nunga. Please share any information you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.